Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Look, if you go to a park, more people are going to watch a fight than a violinist. Welcome back to The Front 3. We all saw a number of stunning performances last weekend, but none more so than that of Patrice Evra on Sky Sports. Following Tottenham's 6-1 hammering of Manchester United on Sunday, Evra produced an emotional outburst that Andy Tate himself would be proud of, threatening to quit his role as a Sky pundit several times, which was then, of course, viewed several million times on Twitter as the moment went viral within minutes which was all very entertaining. But the question was, where was the actual football analysis? So inspired by my favorite podcast, The Second Captains, who mentioned this very such topic on their podcast this week, myself, Lawrence McKenna, and Chris Hennage thought we'd sit down and discuss Evra, the influence of fan media on broadcast Premier League coverage, and the current state of football punditry in the UK. You know, I know you have to have some filter when you talk on TV, but he's a, he's, he's a shumble. I'm personally, I am f***ing livid. I want to go on a rant, but I'm trying to keep it respectable. What's going on with my club? What's going on today? I'm, I'm really emotional right now. They're a f***ing disgrace. They're a f***ing disgrace tonight. The entire team, the entire board. That's why I'm going to ask to Sky. I really would like to end up my contract with Sky because it's my second game. I'm a positive person and I never want to talk about United because when you tell the truth, it can hurt and I'm passionate and I love my club. Harry Maguire, what the f*** does he do? I bat him all the way. But listen, guy, you seriously got to get your head out of the clouds. I don't promote the violence, but many people need like some good slap right now in this game. <laughs> Give it gigs to the end of the season. The season. Lawrence, by now you must have seen Everett on Sky Sports. What did you make of his performance? I think we've all seen it at this point, haven't we? Because it's kind of, um, <laughs> I don't know, th- these things are almost made to go viral. It's partly why you believe he maybe got the Sky contract. Mm. Um, it, yeah, I, I saw it. It was, uh, Patrice is it, obviously a very likable character. Um, I I don't know why. I, I guess I was watching it and I was watching it more for the fear that if I had to talk about it, I wouldn't be able to talk about it than the actual want to watch it. So it was more like it felt like some sort of social phenomenon that had been created rather than, God, I'm really going to get some insight here. Although maybe the insight in the long run is, you know, even famous rich people cry. <laughs> they do. Um, 
I did think though, as I was watching it, you know, is this the place where I want to see uh, people crying about their football team? There's there's plenty of places I come here to for see this. that. I didn't come here. I'm cancelling my Sky <laughs> <Yeah>. contract. <laughs> if I wanted that, I could look in the mirror. You know, sometimes when uh, Spurs have played particularly. If you poorly. can find look in the mirror, I feel like you're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, But it was, as you say, Lawrence, it's interesting. It was interesting to watch for the lack of insight. Incredibly entertaining, of course. But I couldn't help but question, Chris, whether this is what we should be seeing on Sky. And it kind of made me think, of course, of Roy Keane, who's another Sky pundit, uh, perhaps the most famous for offering this sort of entertainment, this sort of take on football. Of course, famously last season, funnily enough, when Manchester United and Spurs last played, he was talking about offering out David De Gea and Harry Maguire, I think, at the time. The point being that, what did you make Chris, or what do you make of what seems to be pundits leaning into a slightly more tribal, a slightly more partisan gear, almost? There seems to be, especially when it comes to the main broadcasters, the mainstream broadcasters being Sky and BT here in the UK, this kind of shift into something that, you know, almost for me, resembles something closer to fan TV and fan media. Yeah, I think the fan TV comparison is a good one, actually, because I think when I grew up, there was always a, f a thinly veiled nod to people's leanings and such, like Alan Hansen is obviously going to be Liverpool, okay. slanted, etc., etc. But now it feels as if it's almost quite unabashed and, and unashamed in the way that they link a pundit to the team that either they played for most prominently or that they care about the most. I think of Jamie Carragher's your little dancer moment. There are all these sort of little moments where, again, it, it does feel as if you're listening to essentially a fan talk about this. And I think what you're seeing in a, in a much wider context here is the Americanization of punditry, I think, in the UK. I think it's moving towards a point where they firmly want pundits now to have personalities and to have moments that are not necessarily intrinsically linked to analysis of the game, but them as people that they can sort of package up, share out and get eyes onto. So that even if, let's just pick any two random teams, you're not a fan of Everton Norwich. or Liverpool oh. or Norwich, yeah, and you, and you don't maybe care about why Liverpool's defence was so poor at the weekend, you will care about the fact that Jamie Carragher lost his temper at it or that Patrice ever sat there and looked like he was close to tears. It becomes about, look at the passion that we can give you. And I think the longer, actually, that we get away from supporters not being in the ground, the more this kind of thing is going to, I think, spread and, and proliferate because they need to represent that passion somehow in the most obvious ways is through the pundits. Yeah, it's uh, I guess I was going back through the history of where sports media in the UK has been and how people um, tend to, to map out. So, I mean, you know, in the past we had people like Kristen was saying sort of almost pretending to be a bit more formal and there was a bit more, I guess, you know, the BBC would always try and keep uh, their pundits impartial, uh, which maybe seems like now some sort of unattainable journalistic ideal. We don't even know if it's even possible anymore, considering we know about, you know, uh, unconscious bias or these kind of things. You know, uh, I know it's often used in terms of you know, racism or something like that, but, you know, I, I'll talk about it in terms of being partisan. Um, 
And to map, I, I was mapping out the history, I guess, a little bit in my head. I think Kristen's right, you know, that the American pundits as we know them now, though, are not the same way as the pundits that we know Graham Souness or Patrice Everett to be. And <laughs> let's put it this way, there's also a lot more of selection and a lot more competition in American television when it comes to punditry, at least, you know, compared to the UK. We will see Mika Richards trotted out every 10 seconds because apparently he's really good. Um, and we'll see Patrice Everett trotted out. And it tends to be that people are flavor of the month because we can use them for a little while and then move on to the next person. And it is partly the cult of the personality, which is similar, I guess, to the politics side of things. And like Chris says, it also brings eyes, even if you're not really interested in the game. I also think it's in what I can only call the ITVization of television to some extent, where it's basically content which is good enough for them, so we might as well just put it out and they'll eat it up kind of thing. And sadly, I guess that's also partly because of the way the news cycle works now. They know that they'll get a longer echo in the news cycle if they put out a Patrice Everett clip. And they also know that no one's going to watch for, well, no one's going to watch for Patrice Everett's insight on, you know, uh, what Salah did, but they will watch for Patrice Everett's, uh, I guess, emotional outburst or whatever. And it's that, it's the Murdochization, I guess, is, is ultimately it as well. The, the networks are being forced to compete against each other, allegedly, for eyes. And that is apparently the ideal here is that it, whatever's watched the most is therefore the best and the most advertisable platform or content. It's definitely part of a broader trend and obviously the attention economy as it is that you're describing. I think what's so interesting about it, specifically with regards to football coverage, is that history you spoke of. It feels like in recent years there was this kind of push towards something that was more insight-led, more analysis-led, um, not to go back to Andy Townsend's tactics truck from, from many years ago, but perhaps more recently, Monday Night Football, of course, that was something that was was heralded, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher's analysis on that show and the depth and the okay. insight Let's, that they brought. Don't, don't forget that. I mean, before that, I mean, I know we hate them now, but Keys and Gray, Gray did do a little section every time on tactics, and it yeah. did feel insightful compared to what else we were getting i think yeah i would agree i think there was broadly speaking much more of a emphasis on the on the what is happening as opposed to the why and there seemed to be much more of a trend towards explaining why teams have won and how they've been broken down and obviously the sort of tactical sophistication of the game is reflected in that in broadcasting and explaining these new trends as the game grows more complicated obviously therefore explaining the game um, becomes more insightful it just feels like i'm intrigued as to whether this recent trend i don't think it is there's definitely something in what you're saying chris about trying to replicate the fan experience and the fan emotion which is obviously so absent from football right now through these pundits who are more tribal but there does seem to be a bit more of a, a gradual trend towards this where the mainstream broadcasters as i say are focused on not just analyzing the moments in the game but also creating their own moments in their broadcast and their content around them. Well, yeah I, it, that's partly because i think from from my perspective that's twofold first of all i think it's because the, the marketization of football coverage and i guess most people's idea that 
again, like I said, um, you know, if it's got numbers, then it must therefore be good. And people judging content by what people seem to want to watch. Um, first of all, that's a poorly used statistic. It's the same as saying, it's the same as when we used to say about Pep Guardiola's team, oh, but they have more passes and possessions, so they deserve to win. It's like, well, they got more views and likes, so they deserve to get the views. It's like, that's a very reductionist way. And it also obviously helps people sell, um, you know, eyeballs, uh, helps people sell the advertising to eyeballs. So I understand that reduction because at the moment it's the way the market is. Don't rely on a free market. We all know that. The second side Where's Nico is then, when you need him? Where's Nico when you, well, why do we need Nico when you got me? Um, there's, uh, there, then there's the other side of it where it's that uh, actually it's very difficult to train people to do that as well. It's very difficult to train people to be insightful. It's very difficult to get to that point. And most of the time, um, I think Sky of re- almost realizing where they sit in the market a little bit now. And there is a... I guess uh, they're realizing what the ecosystem looks like a little more than they did before. And they're trying to insert themselves into the football now because they realize we aren't actually as relevant as we thought we were. We were just telling people we were relevant. And actually, most people tune in for, tuned in for two things on the weekend. Soccer AM, God forbid that that would make a resurgence now. And then the actual game. And let's face it, at halftime, and this is an actual fact, there is a reason why, there's a reason why nationally the power stations will up their potential outage of power at halftime of a football match and during the advertising break for Coronation Street is because more people in the country go into the kitchen to flick their kettle on in that time. And that's not even a joke. That's an actual fact. So I, I why think... would you then, why, here's my real question, right? Why then, and it's it's more to the merit maybe of the delivery system rather than TV being good. It's then about if we know that people go, the adverts are on, I'll walk away. Why don't we shift that cash to people where we know people are watching? I, I think if I could draw a direct comparison as well, I think what you're perhaps seeing as well is the fleshing out of these personalities as people. So when I talked about the Americanization, I look at, and I'm, I'm not an expert in the culture here, but I look at the relationship between LeBron James and Skip Bayless and the notion that Bayless has, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, like a... Uh, yeah, like he, he prejudges, a prejudice towards LeBron James. And then we look at Graham Souness and Paul Pogba. There's a similar sort of narrative constructed with the two, where if Paul Pogba performs poorly, you're waiting for Graham Souness to say something. You're seeing all of the memes on on Twitter of that shaky image of Graham Souness losing his temper and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the same is true with Skip Bayless and LeBron James, to the point where Bayless has become such a caricature of himself that some of his arguments are ludicrous. And... That's what I think you see happen, albeit it hasn't happened as overtly with Sunes, but we're going down that path. And I think that's what it is, is that we have almost, we've abandoned the idea that you should be fair in your evaluation of a situation. And that's where I think fan media comes into it. Because I think the rise of that, on the one hand, comes a direct consequence 
to, I guess, supporters' frustration at the fact that when they watch something like a Sky or whatever, they don't feel as if they are represented, if their opinion and their viewpoint is seen. And the notion of a 606 or something like that didn't feel satisfying enough. It didn't feel like validation. I've said from very early on, for me, fan channels, whether it's Redmen or whatever, I think they sprouted up because it was... 606 but you could see the person and there was a sense of validation of i can stand outside the ground be recorded it goes on the internet and people see me giving my opinion yeah, and i'm that, not just they, in the they have the control it. as well i think with 606 there is all that always the element of uh, the presenter knowing more or the presenter their opinion having more value whereas in fan media them controlling the the medium i think there is a, a value to that there is, I guess, but there is the other side with, um, I think we are still being quite naive in the conversation, I guess, and not taking the performative aspect of media into it as well. We're acting as if uh, Graham Souness in, in his own way is not being performative. Uh, we're acting as if Skip Bayless, I mean, you know, talking about American media is what reminded me of it. Most people consider to be uh, Skip Bayless to be a performance. They consider uh, Stephen A. Smith to be a performance. They know he's acting up in some way. And strangely, we, we saw we're looking, we're always seeking the authentic through media. We're always all see, seeking like an authentic experience, I guess. And I think Chris is right in that, in that whilst we can't um, see fans within the stadium, maybe Sky are asking people to dial it up a little bit. Or, but maybe also there's an element with Patrice everywhere feel there's a reason people like Patrice and it's partly because he feels like he represents something of a fan voice in there like somewhere between he was a man of the people he was a bit of a people's champion at United even though he wasn't a great left back towards his end, the end of his time at United it was like well he's still Patrice he loves us like we are you know we're the guys that he loves we're Manchester United we have a great relationship with our players and I think maybe we're kind of forgetting that like all media is performative. Once you appear on television, you are doing a performance. And part of that was, uh, we see that on Arsenal Fan TV. But the problem is, when then people don't perform in maybe the way that we expect them to, then we get a bit angry in some way. So that was perfectly played out on Arsenal Fan TV with Claude, Mm. where people were like, he's just real. He's just like one of the real guys. You know, he's just saying what he thinks. But then when he said, but then what he said, what he thought, and he was raw, and it turned out to be racist. <laughs> it's like, well, no, but don't say that bit. No, no, not, not yeah, that yeah. bit. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. Do you want this person to be real and do you want to sponsor it? Or hold on a second, God forbid, the sponsors aren't actually watching the thing they're sponsoring here? Because, I mean, if, any, if ever we needed evidence of that, it's Gillette or Ford sponsoring Sky. Um, it's like... It, the, the whole thing is, it, it's a circle jerk in terms of media in the first place. It's people selling media time, media value, you know this. But then it, the, second, the second side is, you know, uh, I, I guess the performative aspect of that and people needing to perform in order to keep people watching is, is a bit like dance, monkey, dance. But then when the monkey doesn't dance how you like, where you go, well, it's not my kind of dancing. It's like, well, yeah, well, uh, the, the assumption is, weirdly, turn the TV on or turn the internet on and I'll see what I want. And I feel like we've basically been sold a, a, a lie in that. That's not even really true. We know that's not true. We know you've got a, you know, it, it, the, the interesting thing was, Boltwood, you had to go through the pain of watching, sorry, Adam, not Boltwood, that's a bit, um, 
but you, you, you have to go through the, the pain of watching Patrice Evra in order to go to the interesting conversation that you liked on Second Captains. But had you listened to Second Captains without the context of Patrice Evra, or they hadn't seen that, or maybe that hadn't been a thing, would they have had that conversation in the first place? So the news cycle in itself is a performative, uh, yeah. I guess, sequence. I think, I think to me almost what the interesting thing about it is that I definitely feel like fan media, as we're all speaking about, has kind of crystallised that idea that, especially with regards to, to football media, you know, these viral rants will guarantee views. The more passionate you are, the more angry you are, the more extreme and, and more heightened your reactions, the more attention you can demand and therefore the more revenue you can generate. And as someone who's a, a producer in this sort of digital football industry, I understand that ultimately your job is to get as many views as possible in order to generate as much money as possible, ultimately for the is, company you're is, working for, but to keep is, your job at the end of the day. Yeah, but Adam, I, I, I absolutely to be To boil it down to the absolute, yeah, the, the, the but, most basic level. But, let, but let's say, I mean, it's funny because we it kind of dawned on me last week, like someone said, oh, did you see that content? It only got 13 views. Uh, and I was like, yeah. And then we were, we were actually talking to someone who went, yeah, but the client were thrilled with it. And I was like, okay, well, how are the client thrilled? Like, were four billionaires watching that and therefore they invested? <laughs> it's like, actually, the value, people just seem to think views are the goal here online. And views do seem to be the goal now. But it's also the value then of those people watching and what you can do and the relationship you build with those people that's, watching. So that's, if that is how, like Nipsey Hussle says, a thousand people who love you than a million who feel indifferent. But that's what I think is so interesting. As you say, there are there are different values to content and broadcast, etc., and what people get out of them and what you qualify as success. And specifically with regards to rights holders and broadcasters, I think there is a responsibility to be producing better coverage than what we got on the weekend, as opposed to, as I said, opposed to seeing someone crying about their club, we should be seeing some sort of analysis. There did seem to be no sort of depth into exploring how and why Spurs won that game beyond the visceral reaction that we got from Gary Neville and Patrice Evra over 90 minutes. Do you agree with that, Chris, that there does, they should have a responsibility? Although it is tempting and although there is, it's understandable to almost not lower yourself, but kind of succumb to that idea of we need to get as many views as possible, as much attention, as many eyeballs as possible. That's us doing our jobs. There needs to be a higher standard for we are broadcasting this game. Fans aren't in stadium. There is a responsibility on our shoulders to to produce something and present something that is a bit more elevated than what we can get readily elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think I've had those discussions myself in the past with uh, content companies and, and what have you about the end goal and what are you trying to achieve? Because I think, look, if you go to a park, more people are going to watch a fight than a violinist. That doesn't mean <laughs> that there's more artistic merit in the fight. You know, I think that's the problem is we've, we sometimes confuse the notion that people watching is an indicator of success. Now, that may be a case of me being too principled and too idealistic in terms of wanting actual insight and, uh, you know, knowledge dispensed from these people that have paid a lot of money to do that. I appreciate also it's very difficult to do it right in that moment because you're still kind of digesting the game as well, which is why I sometimes find Monday Night Football uh, uh, quite intriguing because... 
they've had an opportunity to breathe to rewatch it several times. So I, I can see the case being made that actually in that snapshot moment, sometimes the emotional response is, is going to be the most crystallized and the most interpretable because it's right there and, and easy to access. I just worry that we start to go too far down that line where we lose all relevance of, of the tactical and, and the actual insight and understanding of the game that we do, you could argue, slip towards a more reality TV style moment where we put more emphasis on, I want to see, just to use the example, Patrice ever look very upset. Like I, you're You're almost organizing the situation to create that rather than oh i think patrice ever could give us tremendous insight on his latter years at man united post sir alex and those kind of situations and that's you know just it reminds me of when i was producing the kickoff that there's a time and a place for it i don't want to see rory give me tactical analysis of of chelsea for example i want to see rory tell me about the magnificence of uh, Frank Lampard, his pomp, or whatever it may be, you know. And you want to see him and Hugh Wizzy sort of going at it on the show. You want them to disagree. You want them to be that bit of friction, that bit of debate. And I think there is a, a place for it. And the kickoff, you know, to give an advert here, is a great place for that sort of content where you're getting the passion and the conversation and the debate that you want to see. It's just, I don't know about what you think, Lawrence, but like specifically with regards to, to Sky, there is, as Kristen says, a bit of... An understanding that you know, in the moment, the the emotional reaction is is valid. It just feels like, as a broadcaster on Sky, with their resources, with everything at disposal, could they not be offering a little bit more there? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I guess it's, yeah, it's also the weird thing that they've only got two people in the room and it's Patrice Evra and Graeme Souness. And it's a bit like, hmm, could you have put a third person in there who maybe would have offered some insight here? Is there anyone to bounce off? And then there's kind of, I th- it wasn't um, Kelly Cates, was it? It was someone else in the middle. Uh, it was Dave uh, Jones. Laura, she, it was Dave Jones. Someone. Dave Jones yeah, looked Dave like Jones. he was going to get chinned, basically, by Patrice Ever at one point yeah. because he was asking him questions. Yeah, and he, but he was also uh, saying how much he wanted to cancel his contract. Um, I'm sure Sky were thrilled at the idea of someone uh, repeatedly saying on air, I want to cancel my contract. Uh, well, yeah. Considering I'm sure now they're going to try and lock him up for the next five seasons. That's the thing. It's strange. Every time I've asked Sky to cancel my contract, they put me through to that team of people. Who <laughs> it's impossible. It's literally impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I guess um, the, the, other, the other aspect of that is then we watch Sky, obviously, the main reason we pay for Sky is because they've got the games. Part of the system is broken because we don't really have any choice as to where we can watch the games. I'd love to have a bit more choice. 
there's a bit of a what oligopoly on where you can watch football right now in the UK. I'd love to have a bit more choice. I'd love to know. Not that I think it's much. There's no perfect place. Um, to flip it on you, then you haven't seen, and maybe it's insightful to see that a footballer is human and a footballer has emotions, and someone who's considered to be such a club legend feels such emotion and yet so lost, so frustrated. He feels like the fans. This is a great uh, way of seeing that. Are you basically saying this isn't where I want to see that or where I yeah, expect that's... to see or it shouldn't be there? Or, that's you know. exactly what I'm saying. Like I think Patrice Everett could give you such insight, if not on a tactical level, then on a level of, okay, well, when you're 4-1 down at half-time, Here's how you respond. Here's how. Here's what they'll be thinking in the dressing room. Here's why Luke Shaw had. If you ask for one down at halftime, how should you respond? Because uh, I need to know for next time. Yeah, this is what I'd love Patrice Everett to tell me. You know, I, I think I guess... if I could say one thing as well, it, it's not that emotion has to be devoid of those moments. No, I think it, I think it can be intertwined and. The truth is, I appreciate if I can be candid for a second. There's probably been discussions had where someone like myself has been floated for a job, and they've said, "Oh, he's a bit too dry, or he doesn't get, you know, as emotionally invested." Because that's just not who I am. I'm definitely someone on that spectrum who is closer to the colder side of things that likes to just focus on the facts and what I saw in front of me. Right. I've even during lockdown been doing some sort of Newcastle podcasts and things like that. And even then, to be honest, I don't get up a height just because. That's just not who I am. When I'm watching it, in my own privacy, absolutely. I've said some terrible things about Steve Bruce and the football that he played. <laughs> but I think when it comes to actually properly analysing that, for me personally, and I think that's what I would preface all of this is, it's through the lens of our own interpretation. I just don't think it needs to be so heavily rude in that to the point where you lose all sense of what's actually going on here. Like, like, Patrice's rant or, or whatever that can kind of it has a place but I think where I lose a little bit of acceptance of its presence is when I see YouTube videos and it'll say in brackets rant or goes crazy it's to me it's the football equivalent of gone sexual in the hood you know those kind of prank channel videos where right. you know what yeah. this is trying to do you know what it's trying to achieve but does the does the blame as it were, for the popularity of this content, does it rest with the broadcaster or does it rest with the audience? Is the broadcaster producing this sort of stuff because it gets the eyeballs or is the audience consuming it because it's what they're being given? That's what I think is the think interesting. It's a of both, isn't it? Isn't there a bit of like, um, what's it, uh, uh, where, where 50 50, a little bit of both? Maybe there's a bit of. Um, Truths in the middle. As yeah, but, well, no, I don't, yeah, partly. Although it's also like a, a kind of, I go a sink between the two, where you know there's 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 this imagined, as we all know, there's kind of this imagined audience when content goes out. For some strange reason, they always sort of go, imagine a man between twenty four and thirty five, and he's sitting down watching it with his girlfriend or with his son or with his mates in the pub, and what does he want to see? And they're all in the pub, and he's going, oh, I want to see Patrice Everett crying. And it's like, oh, okay, great. Well, <laughs> ah, that's where that, it came from. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, it, it's strange, because I guess I'm, um, I feel an element of, um, like, 
uh, what can I say, empathy for Patrice Everett because he's in a situation where he's clearly unable, he's clearly going through something else that's very difficult in his life because for anyone to cry on national television it is unusual. It's, yeah, a very, think, uh, it's a very strange position to be in. After a football match has happened and you're over the age of 30, for you to then cry is, it shows how much, first of all, he loved this game. But secondly, uh, like how, uh, secondly, just. Um, it's unwavering commitment to the brand is what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but secondly, uh, I've also had a lot of people, like Chris said, come to me and go, we don't celebrate when there's a goal. So you don't feel how I feel. You don't do it how I do it. And there is a bit of dogma around, I guess everyone's almost attaining, uh, there's like this, there's no, people have all got their own North Star as to what they want football content to be like, or they want, you know, should be like this. No, it should be more, uh, you know, it should be more emotional. No, it should be more analytical. No, it should be this. No, it should be that. Um, and it didn't seem like Sky, there was, didn't, Put this way, I watch Sky and I think, wow, that's an expert thing they've done there. They've streamed that to a satellite, which has then come back to my television and millions of people are watching it all at the same time. Fantastic, you can do that. But for some strange reason, you don't have any experts that can then uh, tell me something that I actually want to see in that moment. You spent all this on the technology, but none on then what you're then getting it to me through. Um, that always seems strange to me as well. Is I'm like, why would you not just spend more on what goes on the screen? or I know it's an alien thought, but, you know, give someone some notes. Sometimes they can be quite insightful. Is there a place for all this different sorts of content, these different sorts of opinions and different sorts of insight and different sorts of takes on football? Because what this, what worries me about this is this kind of the homogenization of, as you're saying, what the North Star is. Like what we want to see is passion and rants and we want to see it all being very extreme. I think there's obviously still places where there is nuance and there is depth and you know the athletic seems to be very popular and very successful and you know them snapping up tifo and obviously something that very much plays into that that wheelhouse and offers a bit more of a cerebral sort of take on football do you think there is a place for all this chris and there is you know if, if you want to go and find your insight in your analysis you go and find it why am i moaning about patrick sever growing on sky sports i can go and read the athletic and get what i want there or is there a, a, a genuine sort of valid concern about, you know, the, the mainstream broadcasters heading in this in this direction? There absolutely is space for all of them. The, the concern I have is keeping the partitions between them, because I think what you run the risk of doing is that if one proves particularly successful, the rest will try to chase and, and ape its behaviours. And I think you saw that over in the States here when Facebook video was suddenly the next big thing and Fox did its infamous pivot to video only to learn that the data and statistics behind that were false. And now they had a really terrible strategy going forward and they've now pivoted back to writing. Although I guess that's a U-turn, but a U-turn doesn't sound very nice. And so that's where I say that, you know, a, a Sky type production, if you want, has its place in the same way that fan channels do. I think what I would say with fan channels is for some of them, I would like to see them actually represent themselves now as media companies. I think too often I see them portray themselves as we're just a little mom and pop shop place. You know, we didn't know. We're sorry we made this mistake. I think they need to professionalize some of the elements behind the camera so that we get a more consistent product without kind of actually taking away what makes it 
so appealing to fans. I, I would be honest, things like Arsenal Fan TV don't appeal to me personally. I think some of that has been uh, turned into a, a sort of a, a commodity or a product with people spinning off and doing their own things and becoming these personalities with catchphrases and, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, crack on, it's, it's, you do what you want, but it just doesn't appeal to me personally. I think, like I say, it's important that the partitions remain because even with somewhere like The Athletic, I like a lot of what The Athletic do, obviously, because I'm a, a nerd and I like to read these long stories. And and truth be told, I spent a long time pitching to places saying, let's do a long story. And they'd say, no, the audience don't want it. And then The Athletic comes along and, and you do feel validated. But I also know that the people behind The Athletic talked about waiting out all of the local newspapers. And that scares me a little bit because that's less about keeping the partitions and making sure that one doesn't gobble up the other. Because we, I have my own issues with some of the local press that back home where I used to work, but I still recognize the important job that they do, the role that they play and why their content is different and why it works and why it's helpful to have it. And that's the thing is that when you start to knock down those pillars before you realize it, you've only got one holding up the roof. And that's my worry for sports media is that it goes into that where you just have this one lane for all media to fit into or, or two lanes. And, and that's not great. The more diversity we have in terms of the strategies and everything, the better it will be. I promise you of that. That's the worrying thing, though. I, I don't know what you think, Lawrence, but in terms of somebody who works in, in football media, specifically video content and kind of having been involved in the kind of the fan side of it as well a couple of years ago it does all feel like it's moving in one sort of general direction I think a couple of years ago I think there might have been more of a space or more of a, a desire for there to be that diversity among publishers and among those who perhaps were, were producing content but I think the temptation and the realities of the economics of it if you don't move the trend if you don't move in a direction that's going to bring you eyeballs and views and, and everything you need in order to generate the revenue in order to keep yourself going then you know you're not going to be in this industry you're not going to be producing your show you're not going to be producing your content for very long so i think yeah. although there is kind of uh i think everyone has a kind of an idealistic or a kind of a, a desire to do what they want to do and do something that is a little bit you know, more interesting, a bit elevated. I mean, even this podcast, to be honest, you know, like there was a couple of years ago when we stopped. Yeah. But, you know, the, we do this podcast for fun. We're not making any money out of it. It's not something where, you know, it's going to make us millionaires in a year's time or right. anything like that. Yeah. And there came a point a couple of years ago when it was like, okay, do we pause this now? Do we try and do something which is going to make sure that there is revenue from it, which can kind of justify, in quote marks, keeping it going? You know, I think there, there's economic realities to producing this sort of content. And as you sort of say, Chris, the worrying thing is I think everyone kind of moves in that one direction and the diversity and the, the pillars, as you said, disappears. And I think it does all become quite homogenized and all, all the same, essentially, in order to survive. Yeah. So, so there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think... Um, Obviously, there are trends. I also think uh, there are similar to if you're farming, some years you're going to have a good yield, some years you're not. And, you know, um, the, the part of the problem is there aren't many fields to leave fallow when you're making content. Uh, and actually, there's also a bit of uh, a, a 
I guess, for want of a better term, journalism for what happens online. So one person says something, then another person picks it up, then another person picks And, you know, ultimately, you're probably hearing it third or fourth hand most of the time when you hear it online, um, or even fifth or sixth hand. Like, it, it's, it, we, we also, sadly, um, have sort of encouraged people to think that free speech, therefore, means that everyone weirdly is as qualified to talk on a subject as other people which is also not true and that their opinion is just as valid as someone else and weirdly like i don't know there was a there was a quote which i'm always sort of drawn back to when robert peston left the bbc and i know peston left the money so you know fuck that but ultimately what he did say was at the BBC, I felt like there was a real problem because when someone said, you know, if someone says to you, it's raining outside, your, uh, your job as a journalist is not to say, well, that's one valid opinion. Uh, the opposite opinion might be your job is to go outside and go, is it like, and so that's part of the problem is we are, you know, obviously living in the post fact era or whatever we want to talk about. What that also allows people to do is to make a quick buck because it doesn't matter if anyone checked or all this sort of stuff. And I do worry a lot of, you know, I've said this time after time, there is a bit of a race to the bottom in some sense. Um, there is a bit of a race to just say something first rather than say it accurately. And for some strange reason, we validate some of these people or seem to give them validation for the wrong things. Arsenal Fan TV were very good at certain things. But let's not pretend that they were good at tactical analysis in the way that it needed to be approached. What they were good at was filming an opinion, getting a very authentic person who had a very valid opinion, a very fast turnaround to get their voice out there and have a platform. And that's fine. But it also came with a lot of pitfalls that we also don't acknowledge, which are it had an incredible impact on people's mental health. It had an incredible impact on the way that people spoke to each other. They would then exploit the fact that that person was emotional about it. Instead of saying emotionally vulnerable, they go rant. It, and these are all things that for some reason, we, because they are seen as successful, they get, we term it as somehow a good thing. And like, actually, when you step back and analyze it, there were many good things. Like I said, the fast turnaround. For some strange reason, we seem to, again, think the numbers validate and therefore that's okay. And it's weird because uh, I think a lot of people, given the chance to step away from how many people, I don't know, here's the question, right? How many people, given the chance to step away from that, would go, yeah, actually, is there any way that I could stop myself from clicking on that? Because actually quite a toxic part of my weekend and actually I'm burning probably about 20 minutes that I could spend with my girlfriend or whatever or you know like for some strange reason we are encouraged to think that consumption within this is the goal as opposed to somehow improvement of our own lifestyles and like I don't know. I guess we forget that these apps and therefore partly Arsenal fan TV and, and a lot of fan channels are playing into the cycle that the app uh, encourages, which is fast clicks, laughs, turnarounds, stereotyping, shorthand, uh, cultural movements, these kind of things. They're, 
none of it is smart. None of it is, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, Robbie's a smart guy and I'm sure there's another, but none of it is, in it, let's not pretend it's sophisticated in any way uh, beyond what, you know, beyond the obvious. That's what makes it so fascinating and so complicated, but also so depressing though, is there's so many, there's so many factors that do influence it, but there's the, the cultural trends, there's the technology trends, you know, the way society is geared now, I think, you know, everyone doom scrolls on Twitter in the evening to, to try and right. consume some mental news. Doom scrolling. doom scrolling. That's what you, that's what you do every wow. evening when you can't get off your phone just before you go to bed. I do that plenty, but I think there is the, the technology is geared towards that. The culture is geared towards that. Society is geared towards that in quite a, a, a scary way. And I think it extends to all aspects of culture and society. And we're seeing it at, to an extent in football media. And I just think that's a very interesting trend. And I'm fascinated to see if, you know, obviously the game is in a very unique situation right now. And I think there's 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 many factors and there's many contexts, which means we're seeing crazy results we're seeing crazy games we're seeing things we've never seen before i think that influence and that impact is extending to the way football is presented and the way it's covered but i'm very intrigued to see you know once we're fingers crossed on the other side of this pandemic and things hopefully start to return to normal and people are allowed back in stadiums and, and football's all back to normal whatever normal will be whether this sort of trend in broadcasting continues and we will still see patrice Evra in two years time crying on sky sports guys i hope you enjoyed this week's podcast thanks so much for listening that's what you think at the front three is a football media doomed um that might be the title of this podcast um it's catchy what a, what it's clickbait you see that is a really good one um but chris thank you very much for joining us uh, where can the good people find more of you at k hennage or at the front three uh, it's usually yeah, you, you tweet you some big you tweet yeah. some big bangers out don't you I enjoy that. People are always like, who's tweeted? Is it Adam? Is it Lawrence? It's like, it's just Chris tweeting out the bangers. Let's, that's all it is. It's always <laughs> all Chris. the funny it's ones Chris. are Lawrence or Adam. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have. That's what I should have said there. All, all the anti Steve Bruce ones. Oh, Chris, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. And actually, weirdly, that most of the time, that's Statman Dave. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lawrence, people can find you at the front free, tweeting hilarious tweets out every, every few days. Perfect. Or Lostcast. I mean, overall. Yeah. You're welcome either way. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next Wednesday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 